been going through uh, a series on the disciplines of a godly man and been drawing some resources for that from a book by R. Kent Hughes, The Disciplines of Godly Man, and I would encourage you to read the book. Um, there's a lot of things in the book that I'm obviously not talking about. But we've defined discipline in such a way that we might be able to action it. And discipline is sacrificing right now for the benefit of yourself and others later. It's kind of like bargaining for a better future, I guess you could say. And today we're talking about the disciplines of a married man. And we're going to be looking in the Bible to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 22 through 33. And I'm going to read those to get us started. And this is where it starts. Might be familiar. A bit of controversy here. Interesting verses. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 says, Wives, be submissive to your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, just as Christ is the head and Savior of the church, which is his body. But as the church submits to Christ, so also let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. And that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. In this way, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord cares for the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I am speaking about Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. As we look into this, Paul writes in verse 32 that this is a great mystery, but I'm speaking about Christ and the church. And this mystery Paul writes about is like information that has only been revealed to certain people specifically information about the way that marriage works and that the marriage covenant between a man and a woman and God and what that is and what it means and how that relationship, covenant relationship, illustrates the relationship between Jesus and his people. And that's where we look to learn about the disciplines we practice in order for our marriage to flourish. And the fact that Paul says, it is a great mystery, tells me that for many people, there's a very limited understanding about marriage and what it is and also why it's important. And as a man, as this is geared towards men, uh, your marriage is important because it is a significant part of your contribution to society. Um, for the sake of others, it's important that you do your best to make your marriage a good one. You're responsible for building the next generation and shaping the future within the context of your marriage. And it, a lot of people may not realize it, but marriage is the bedrock of civilized society. And we look to the relationship between Jesus and his people to learn how it works. And it's not easy to understand why marriage is such an important institution 
um, on your own without instruction. And I think that's why Paul calls this a mystery. Um, I'm a member of Generation X. And I think I grew up in a generation that was the first generation in which divorce was widely accepted in single parent homes started to become a normal thing. And the understanding and respect for the institution of marriage was kind of lost on my generation, along with some other things as well, like respect for government. Um, and well, maybe even institutions in general, but specifically today that we're talking about the institution of marriage. But marriage is the institution upon which civilized society is built. And as a man, you sacrifice for your spouse and your children, your church, and your society within the context of your marriage. And Paul quotes the Old Testament in the passage we read saying, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall be one flesh. In I think we talked about this last week a little bit, but when a man and woman come together physically in marriage, there are things that happen emotionally and biologically even that bond a married couple together. And exercise within God's intended context, that is a wonderful gift, you know, not just for procreation, not just because it's fun, which it is, but because it bonds you into one flesh and helps to prepare you together for the challenges you will face as a married couple. The Bible says you become one flesh, inseparable. And marriage is the closest you will ever be to another person. And your relationship with your kids can be great. It's wonderful. You know, I love love both my kids and, and my son-in-law and have great relationships with them. But you can be close to your kids, but you're not one flesh with your kids like you are with your husband or your wife. And they will, you know, eventually find someone when they're old enough to marry and become one flesh with that person. But today, people often think the kids are the most important thing in the marriage, it, but they're not. Uh, your marriage is the most important thing because a, a marriage covenant provides the foundation and security on which everything else in your family is built. Your wife, your kids, your church, your society need your marriage to be the best it can be. So for the sake of everyone else, it is your God-ordained responsibility to discipline yourself now and practice the disciplines of a married man. We're going to be talking about a few of those today. We could probably make a lot longer list than this, but hopefully these will be helpful. And the first one of those is the discipline of sacrificial love. And when I say love, the vision for that for many people, is an Instagram kind of love, a picnic on a grassy hillside, a walk on the beach, a late sleep in, you know, things like that. And that's all great stuff. And when you get the opportunity to do things like that, definitely take advantage of it. Make time for romantic things. One of the things I suggest to married couples is try to get away at least twice a year, just the two of you. Even if it's just overnight, cherish that time, be romantic, enjoy each other. That stuff is great. And it's it's really wonderful when you're able to be, you know, uh, romantic with each other. But the reality is, is that's just not an everyday thing. Most of married life is unexpected bills, sick kids, a house that perpetually needs to be cleaned, a pile of laundry that never gets smaller, stress, projects that need to be done. A lot of time spent doing things that just aren't that fun. That's just the reality of day-to-day -day life 
and day-to-day married life. And marriage is easy when you're having a good time. Um, you know, that the picnic on the grassy hill requires no effort. It's the everyday grind of life that requires the discipline of sacrificial love. And if you think, you know, maybe you think love is an emotion and something that you just feel or that if it requires effort or discipline, it's not really love. But if that's how you view love, your view of love is limited to only the romantic kind of love, which is great, but it's not all there is. There's a lot more to it than that. And that kind of love is not that useful for doing dishes or unclogging a toilet or taking on the extra responsibility while your wife is sick. Sacrificial love is absolutely a discipline. And we look to Jesus to learn about love. And Paul writes in verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. So what does it mean to love your wife in that way, in the way that Christ loved the church? Um, Paul uses the word love there in the past tense. And that doesn't mean that Jesus used to love the church and he doesn't now, but that he performed an act of love that is now completed. And the word love Paul uses here is not like the romance kind of love. The kind of love he's talking about is directing your will towards someone and finding joy in that someone. It's a decision to love. You can decide to love someone. In the example we're given, that is done in a sacrificial way. That's the discipline of sacrificial love. You direct your will to sacrifice yourself for the benefit of your wife and find joy in doing so. And I think most men would choose to sacrifice their their lives for their wife as a once-for-all kind of sacrifice. If for some strange, strange reason a scenario presented the need for that, I think most men would probably do it. But that's not the kind of sacrifice your marriage needs day-to-day. Um, I was searching for a photo or something the other day, I don't remember, and I, I came across one that said, Something like, before marriage, he would lay down his life for you. And after marriage, he won't lay down his newspaper to talk to you. And that illustrates a lack of what we're talking about. That's a lack of the discipline of sacrificial love. Um, It's more than a one-time sacrifice. It's an everyday death-to-self sacrifice. And the Bible also says Jesus gave himself for us. The sacrifice that Jesus made was not something that was forced on him. It was something he chose. He demonstrated obedience, and he permitted it to happen. In practicing the discipline of sacrificial love, you give yourself over to your marriage daily, and that means dying to self. And a large part of dying to self is learning to put off the part of ourselves that is the selfish part, deaf to preferences, to rights, to wants, to desires, uh, to our time. And dying to self is not easy. And there's a prayer Jesus prays in John chapter 17, and that's a good example of what a sacrificial love and, and dying to self looks like. And in that prayer, Jesus prays for his followers and even prays for us as future followers. And this prayer is shortly before he is arrested and crucified. Now, imagine yourself being in that situation, knowing what's coming and taking the time to pray for others. 
that's what death to self looks like. That's what sacrificial love looks like. And when we pray, and we're all guilty of this to varying degrees, but when we pray, we tend to fixate on ourselves and we give God a list of things he needs to fix so our life will be the way we want it to be. And when you think about it, that's really very selfish. And of course, there are things you know I want and need, but as I practice the disciplines of a married man, my will should be last in line. And that's something I definitely need to work on in my marriage. Now, here's one way you can practice the discipline of sacrificial love. Ask your wife what her needs are and then pray for her first. If you're really feeling manly, you can sit down with her and pray for her out loud so she can hear you do that. Now, the next discipline of a married man is the discipline of sanctifying love. Being a marriage covenant will help you grow spiritually. You know, nothing shows us how self-centered and selfish we are quite like marriage. And the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And your wife will be a big help in keeping you from deceiving yourself in that way. She will remind you that you are sinful. And we've talked about sanctification before. And it's basically the process we go through to become more of who God wants us to be. It's spiritual growth. It's uh, us disciplining ourselves. It's the Holy Spirit working through us. All of these things come into the process of sanctification. And marriage actually helps us with that. It shows us areas in our life that need to change. And in the Bible, we also learn that there's a responsibility God has placed on you as a husband to love your wife in such a way that it lifts her up. And that's following the example of what our scripture says, as Christ loves the church and sanctifies it. A man who practices godly discipline seeks sanctification for himself, and in doing so, enables his wife to do the same. And as a husband, ask yourself this question. Do you enable your wife's spiritual growth or do you hinder it? And in my marriage, I've been on both sides of that. And here's something simple you can do to practice the discipline of sanctifying love. Talk with your wife about scripture. Make time to do that. Find a devotional book that you can share together, work with that, pick a book of the Bible, read it together, read a chapter. The hardest part of that is creating the space for that to happen and sticking to it, making a time available for that to happen. Practice the discipline of sanctifying love to be a husband who fosters your wife's spiritual growth. And Paul, in this passage, in uh, Paul also talks about loving yourself. And obviously, we want to handle that carefully. We live in a pretty self-centered, selfish world. And it's obvious that a biblical self-love is not a selfish or self-centered love. And nothing will make you more miserable than being self-centered. It will eat you alive. As a man, it's imperative that you focus on disciplining yourself for the benefit of others. And when we don't do that, 
and you know, I'm not a woman, so I can't speak to it, but I know it's especially true for men. But if we don't discipline ourselves and focus on the benefit of others, we generally get pretty miserable. It's important for men to do that. But the self-love that's spoken of in our Bible passage doesn't lead to being selfish. It actually leads to being deeply generous. Verse 28 and 29 say this. They say, in this way, men ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord cares for the church. Now, we all care for our own body. We nourish it. We cherish it. When we're thirsty, we drink. When we're hungry, we eat. When we're cold, we find some way to warm ourselves up. And most of the time, we give ourselves top billing in our wants and needs. And we make sure we're taken care of. And the way you love yourself is an example of how to love your wife. The Bible's teaching us to give our wife the same precedence of love and care that we give our own body. Love yourself. Take care of yourself. Love your wife in the same way with the same precedence. Not just physically, but also emotionally. Um, emotionally, men and women tend to be very different. And there's a, a lot of misunderstanding between genders in that regard. And I think that's one of the reasons we're struggling with some of the social issues we're dealing with in culture today, because men have not made allowances for or attempted to better understand women. Make the effort to understand your wife. Love generously, both physically and emotionally. And to do so is to be more like Jesus. If you make that effort to understand your wife emotionally, your marriage is going to be better. Your family will be stronger. Your church will be better. And in turn, society will as well. So to do those things is to be more like Jesus. And the Bible tells us in the book of Colossians to put on love, to embrace it, to clothe ourselves with it. And we've touched on the concept already, but your clothes don't put themselves on. They require your effort to be on your body. And Colossians says, put on love like you're clothing yourself with it. And when I do a wedding ceremony, uh, when I perform the ceremony, part of what I say goes like this. I say, groom, do you take the bride? And I mean, obviously I use their real names, but I say, groom, do you take the bride to be your wife? to live together after God's ordinance in the holiest state of matrimony. Will you love her, comfort her, honor and keep her in sickness and in health and forsaking all others, keep yourself only for her so long as you both shall live. And after they say, I do, I ask them to repeat this next bit after me and I break it up small, you know, manageable pieces. And I say, in the presence of God and before these witnesses, I, the groom, take you, the bride, to be my wife to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in joy and in sorrow, to love and to cherish and to be faithful to you alone as long as we both shall live. And then I go on to say, unless of course you don't feel like it or maybe you're just not in the mood or you feel like you may have made a mistake or this person just really isn't your soulmate. And then of course, none of this really matters and you can just, Forget the whole thing. No, that's that's obviously not what I say. Because it's a covenant between a man, a woman, and God. It's saying, I will discipline myself to dedicate myself to you alone, no matter what, 
entail death. And I think, you know, Paul talks about this all being a bit of a mystery and it's, you know, people have a lack of understanding about what marriage is and it's often treated like a contract instead of a covenant. Now, the difference between the two is that in a contract, when someone doesn't hold up their end of the deal, um, the, the contract's null and void. It's like it goes away. But a covenant doesn't work like that. The covenant is still in place and does not go away, even if someone doesn't hold up their end of the deal. It just doesn't you know, um, cease to exist. It continues on. <sighs> but the romantic love that we talked about earlier, okay, that that gets you to the starting line. Um, but there are some days you don't feel that love and the discipline of dedication gets you through those days. The discipline of dedication. My wife and I sometimes say, uh, partly joking, you know, I, when we're not getting along, you know, I love you. I just don't like you right now. And that's just the way it is. Sometimes it's dedication to the marriage covenant. The idea that I'm not giving up on this, no matter what, that this covenant continues on no matter what that makes marriage possible. And the discipline of dedication makes sure that happens. And one of the things my wife does when I perform a marriage ceremony, and she, she likes to print off uh, the vows and give a copy to the newlywed couple so they can revisit them later when things are difficult because life is difficult. And there may be moments in your life that all you have to hang on to is the dedication you share to your marriage covenant. There will be times when that's the one thing in this world you feel like you can lean into. And there are times in life when the only place you might find comfort will be that there is one person in this world who will not give up on you and is there for you no matter what. And I want to challenge you to be that man for your wife. Give her that security. A wife needs to be able to rest in your faithfulness like we can rest in the faithfulness of Jesus. And I'm going to share one more discipline before we wrap up for today. And that's the discipline of seeking. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says this, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be given to you. In that context, Jesus is speaking about physical needs and anxiety and worries. Uh, it's part of the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about all the things that tend to concern us in this life that we worry about, that we stress about. And in answer to all of those things, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the rest of the stuff will fall into place. So in all things, you must seek him first. The discipline of seeking, even before your own wife, even before your own husband, before your own children, you must seek him first. He's the other party in your marriage covenant. And as a man, you must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then upon that, you build your marriage covenant. Upon that, you build your family. Upon that, you build your church. Upon that, society is built. And one of the worst things we can do is mix up the order because if you don't get the bedrock right, it's not going to hold up the rest of it. 
And those things do build on each other. So seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and the other things will follow. Practice the discipline of seeking God and his righteousness first. Discipline yourself in prayer, in God's word, and in practicing what God says is right. And then build on that. I'm grateful that you've taken the time to give this a listen. If you know someone who you think it might be helpful for, please feel free to share it with them. Um, Subscribe, whatever you want to do. And I put these out weekly, and I really do. It's just I'm just putting them out there hoping that you find them useful. And I look forward to talking to you again next week. Until then, all the best, and I'll be praying for you. Talk to you then.